Miracy. Yeah, I also just really like the approach. I mean, because you can absolutely see it as, okay, this is a really tough market, tough audience, tough student, tough learner. Or you can say, okay, you know what? This is something that you can kind of sort of muddle your way through and most people will let you get away with it. But I can't do that in this niche. So let's really roll up our sleeves and get creative about how to do this amazingly well. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey, Danny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it, or both. Our guest today is Aaron Croft. Aaron is the creator of Hidden ADHD, a network of resources for adults looking to improve their productivity. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Abe. Great to be here. So let's start with the kind of 30,000-foot backstory. Who are you? What do you do? How did you come to be doing it? And how did that pursuit evolve into the work you're doing now with online courses? Yeah, sure. So seven years ago, I guess eight years ago now, at 33 years old, I was broke, divorced, and earning minimum wage. And, you know, kind of thought my life was in shambles. So shortly after, I got a diagnosis of inattentive ADHD, and really my, my life changed from there. I you know, built a successful Fortune 500 career, got happily remarried, and it was at that point where I was a senior manager in a Fortune 500 company, you know, having consulted to some of the biggest brands in the world, and I kind of said, well, maybe I could do more. And you know, I've always had this lifelong passion around coaching and uh, helping others. But, you know, I kind of had this thing of feeling like a fraud because I was like, well, you know, I'm not that productive, you know, but I still had that desire and passion. And so for me, it was really just, I just said, you know, I'm just going to start sharing what I've learned, sharing what I know and pursue it. And then when I took your program, Danny, and, you know, you kind of introduced me the idea that you don't need to be a world-class expert. It's okay to be a fourth grader teaching a second grader. And it's actually good to be that. Uh, then. That sort of really gave me that next level of permission that I do know a lot about productivity that I can share with other ADHDers who are in the boat that I was, you know, a few years back. Cool. I guess, can you tell us a little bit more about this niche, this world of productivity that you work in? You know, tell us a bit more about, you know, your clients, the challenges they, you know, come to you with, and how did you determine that, you know, a course was the right solution to serve them? Yeah, absolutely. Great question, Abe. So my specialty and really where I chose to focus and niche when I was originally just creating, you know, free content for social media was around this idea of inattentive ADHD. So there's a lot around, you know, in, in the ADHD space. And, you know, if you think, if you ask anyone what they think about ADHD, they kind of say like squirrel or, you know, they picture Tigger, like six-year-old boys, like running around on, you know, a sugar high. And there's kind of this other side, which is uh, what's referred to as inattentive ADHD or those symptoms. And, you know, it's this really weird thing where a lot of us are in this position where we want to do something. We feel that we can't get ourselves to do it. And this comes up all the time in any goals that we're trying to pursue around our career, relationships, fitness, et cetera. And um, so that's the challenge that a lot of people with inattentive ADHD face. So I started trying to do a course, right? 
And, you know, I built a three-week pilot program and it was, you know, successful or whatnot. But what happened is I tried to skip the one-on-one coaching step. And so I really just started offering one-on-one coaching and, you know, I came up with six results I could produce. One of them was around productivity and the other were around like getting promoted, that sort of thing. And what I found was that the majority of people who hired me for coaching were really in one way or another, even if they didn't look at it this way, I was starting to use the same tactics and a lot of them were falling in this productivity boat. And so I said, okay, well, if everyone's coming to me for this and I feel that I'm repeating myself on, you know, the majority of my coaching conversations, one, I know there's a need for this program and that there's opportunity there, but it was really, how do I take that to the next level? Um, so yeah, I guess can you map out a bit more of that journey from, you know, doing the coaching, understanding people's needs to actually designing your course? How did you come up with the course structure? What does it look like? And what were some of the challenges you had to overcome along the way? Sure. I went through and I listed all the different things I was doing with all my one-on-one clients and, you know, ranked them by, you know, on a matrix from high effort and high value to low effort, low value, and sort of looked at where, what the key things that were coming up. And, you know, I saw this glaring gap which was I was giving people these amazing strategies, you know, advanced productivity strategies, but like making it super easy to implement, like productivity for dummies kind of stuff. And then I was even having people, you know, set commitments, right? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. But my ability to hold them accountable, if they didn't do it, right? If they did it, they sent me a text or they did this, whatever, I would write back, way to go or, you know, party emoji. But if they didn't do it, I didn't have the bandwidth or the systems in place as a one-on-one coach to check in on them every day and be like, yo, you told me you'd email me that thing or where's this or where's that? And so there was that big aha moment. Wow, I could actually provide that in a group environment. So I think it was one, taking the perspective of how can a group program not just be a poor man's version of one-on-one coaching, but actually a better product in many ways. And then two, to answer your question on the structure, so it's cohort-based, so it's not like an evergreen self-study. Part of the problem is that, you know, many students have trouble with a purely self-study program. People with inattentive ADHD symptoms, no chance. They will not, I mean, it will be like 99.9% drop-off rates. We need some level of accountability and other people involved to keep going. So it's cohort-based and it's eight weeks long followed by four months of uh, insurance sticks coaching, where we go from weekly coaching to monthly. And a lot of it's really built around the, the success teams that we create. Can you tell us more about this? Yeah. So um, it's basically, uh, you know, the idea around the peer-to-peer support. And so what we do is we build four-person success teams. And we say, look, within our larger program, because, you know, we'll have 50, 60 students at a time, uh, some of them are returning students. We say, okay, great. You're within this group. And um, we, we give them a, a whole script or outline for that initial meeting. And we really focus on uh, what Patrick Lencioni and the five dysfunctions of a team, you know, really highlights as the core of any real great team is trust. And the way you build trust is your vulnerability. So we give them a, detailed script on how to really create vulnerability and connection in that first meeting. 
And, you know, I share my own personal examples. I kind of say, okay, great. I'm going to pretend I'm on your team. And I share about my love of Taylor Swift and all these, you know, different things. And, you know, we have a prompt about like share your biggest AD, uh, an ADHD failure from your past. So anyway, we get them to connect to his team, but we say, look, this is really your, your nucleus of the program. Yes. There's the larger thing. Yes. There's a weekly coaching call, you know, with 50 people in me and you can ask questions, but these are your core things. And so what we do is we really create this cohesive four-person team, and my program is about consistent productivity. And so what they have to do is they have to each day commit to their team one tough task they're going to do on their number one goal. And because everybody on the team is committing to each other and then reporting how it went, it creates like this sort of team momentum and team accountability. And so that's the core structure of how we really drive that daily accountability. Any uh, challenges you've had with those teams or anything you've had to adjust or iterate on over time? Yeah. Um, So, you know, one thing is that when I finished the pilot version of this program, which, you know, I taught, so the first time when I ran the pilot before I did the one-on-one coaching, it was mostly, I couldn't figure out how to scale the program or do it with more than just like 10 or 20 people. Moving into the success team model allowed me to bring more people into the program, but I still had a little bit of a problem with how to, like, there's, there's so many questions, right? Because, so one of the things that I would say is an opportunity for me would be to narrow down productivity on what, right? Because we have some people that are just trying to like handle paperwork at home. We have other people trying to write books. We have other people trying to start businesses, uh, other people trying to improve their sleep. So you know, I think an opportunity for me in the future is to be a little bit more narrow in terms of exactly what the product, what they're going to be productive on. But one of the challenges we had is that there's a lot of questions that come up because it is a little broad, right? And like, how do you apply it in this situation versus that situation? And one of the solutions came from my own students and they said, hey, Aaron, could we retake the program at a discount and we'll help you run the program? And so we have returning students that act as guides is what we call them. and we. We say, okay, yes, you can, but we're going to put you on a team with three newbies. And so uh, we have these returning students who then they're the team captain. They have the three newbies that they're working with. And then I have a direct channel to communicate with my guides to say, hey, look, I need you to do this in the team or do that in the team. Or can you follow up on the goal worksheets and make sure everyone on your team has shared them with each other, you know, stuff like that. Nice. What else have you found effective in terms of keeping people on track and helping them get results in the course? In the beginning, nagging. Whether you want to call it nudging, you want to call it, I came up with a good euphemism. I call it a consistency coach, which basically says, if you don't post each day to your team, the consistency coach is going to send you a message and say, hey, where's your tough task for today? And if they have a problem, they'll like kind of coach them through it on Slack. So that's one. Two was using Slack. What I found is that for the immediacy of bugging people, nagging them, nudging them, the immediacy of team communication, a tool that's designed for instant communication like Slack has been phenomenal for my audience, whereas Mighty Networks was too unintrusive and too kind of like somewhere between email and Slack. So those are some learnings that I found. Folks are always curious to hear more about how do you market the course, you know, what is it uh, priced at and, and how does that work in terms of your overall business model? Yeah. 
No, those are great questions. And I think we should all help each other in this space. So I would say that the pricing has evolved. So after the pilot program, my initial launch, I priced at $697. And this was just for the eight-week program. But I also ran some like early bird specials and discounts. So I think my average ticket sale on that was $447. And it was sort of like the, you know, that first class post pilot where I had a feeling it was going to work well, but I wasn't convinced. And I also, frankly, from the pilot, I had okay testimonials, but I didn't have kick-ass testimonials. Like they were fine. So I sort of, you know, priced this where People told me that I priced it too low, including some of the students, which is fine. I just kind of had to do what felt right to me. And at that point, I was still doing a fair bit of one-on-one coaching. So I wasn't convinced that this was going to work. But we ended up, you know, signing up, I don't know, 38 people. So it was like a 15 grand launch and I don't know, 36 people. Anyway, so it was like a $15,000 launch and the program was amazing. Everyone was like, oh my God, this was life-changing, best investment I ever made, like video testimonials, gushing testimonials, permission to use like people's Slack posts, with if as long as we like blurred out their photo and their name or something. So we had like amazing stuff and I had confidence, right? So then the next iteration of the program, which we just finished was uh, we ran the program in April. So I've basically run it every three months since the core program's eight weeks. And again, I mostly sold it uh, so I upped the price to $9.97 pay in full or three installments of $3.97. And we signed up 32 students. So, I mean, maybe average ticket was $1,100 if you count in the, the payment plans or probably actually a little bit more because a number of people took the payment plan. So what was that? Low 30s launch. And it went well. So this time now we're running it in July. And I said, you know what? Everyone, when they get to the end of the program, they're kind of like, oh man, I really wish I had more and this and that. So we've off, like we've now built an alumni community and we still give them access to the training materials and to the Slack, you know, whole thing. So they can basically keep their habit going. Plus we give them the option to come back as a returning student at a massive discount. And so I said, you know what? We're already doing it. People need it. So then I said, I'm going to frame this as a six month program with an eight-week boot camp at the front, and I'm going to make it $14.97. So that's the price that we're going with for the July 11th program. We've already had one person sign up at that price, and that was through Evergreen Recorded Masterclass. So I hope that that price point is going to work for people, but I guess we'll see. And where do you see going from here? What are your plans in terms of continuing to grow or scale the program, or do you want to go and build new things in addition to this core offering? Yeah, it's a good question. So I'd say a few things. So one is looking for ways to reduce my time involvement. So I'm, I'm planning for July, assuming that we had at least, you know, 20 new students, which I think we'll have without a problem. I'm planning for July to actually hire someone to be the daily nag, AKA the more euphemistically named consistency coach. Because it's a pretty straightforward thing to do if you have any training in behavioral psychology. Obviously, they can escalate things to me. So that's one is how do I scale my time better um, so that I can focus on the main things. And then two is, you know, this could just be a little bit of the ADHD looking for a new challenge as well. But like, 
I've now opened up a second brand, which I just launched a few weeks ago called The Atypical Coach, which is really helping coaches who have ADHD establish their business and you know get new clients and use social media like I did to grow their business and you know bringing in some of the aspects around things that are more difficult with ADHD with starting coaching business so obviously there's a productivity aspect but there's also you know the way that all of us when we're on the other side of the fence on a coaching or training business think about it is we kind of think about it as a little bit like step 1 step 2 step 3 but at least with a lot of ADHDers it's very much like you know okay, I'm not willing to commit. I'm not willing to agree to a niche. I'm not even willing to agree to one social media channel or one anything. And, you know, all of us can pound our head and say, you have to, you have to, you have to. But like, it's like, I don't know exactly where I want to focus. I'm willing to like narrow it down a little bit, start creating content, see where people sign up for my coaching or my program, and then narrow it down again. And so this sort of like, it's almost like walking into a pool step by step. And so just really structuring a, a program for new coaches to help them kind of ease into a coaching business where they can build their confidence and their testimonials and success over time as they figure out what is that, you know, scaled program, what is that group program or that course that they want to build. Awesome. Very cool. That was super thorough. I don't have, uh, I don't have any other questions. Cool. Aaron Croft is the founder and creator of Hidden ADHD. To learn more about his upcoming Productivity Academy program, head on over to group.hiddenadhd.com before it begins on July 11th. That's group.hiddenadhd.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. So you may be hearing some noise in the background of me talking. That is because shortly after I introduced Aaron onto the show, like literally seconds, they decided to, I don't know what they're doing. It's like they're tearing up the sidewalk right outside my window or something. But we've still got to debrief. And so they just stopped. So now it's a little quieter. Hopefully it stays that way. But no, no, they're still, they're still going at it. Well, either way, we are going to debrief. I was listening the whole time. I took copious notes. Abe, why don't you go first? What jumped out to you? I mean, you just had this whole conversation, but what were, what were the highlights for you? <laughs> I mean, the big theme to me was that Aaron is working with a, a pretty challenging topic and type of learner. Like we often talk about the challenges of helping people progress and make progress and get meaningful results from online courses. But Aaron works with people who are coming to him because they have ADHD, which means they're specifically experiencing challenges around focus, attention, and getting to the outcomes they want in their work or life. So it's even harder to help them make progress through a course than for a a client who doesn't have um, ADHD specifically. And it's already hard, we know, you know, working on, on typical courses. So I love how he's taken on that challenge that we can talk about some of the strategies you know, he's used to, to address it. Yeah, I also just really like the, the approach. I mean, because you can absolutely see it as, okay, this is a really tough market, tough audience, tough student, tough learner. Or you can say, okay, you know what? 
this is something that you can kind of sort of muddle your way through and most people will let you get away with it, but I can't do that in this niche. So let's really roll up our sleeves and get creative about how to do this amazingly well. And we've seen that with some other course creators as well, where they're operating in a, in a niche that is particularly challenging to do some of the traditional things that you might do in the context of online course creation. And it forces them to be creative and resourceful and come up with really interesting structures, as Aaron has done, particularly when it comes to cohort-based experiences and the consistency coach slash, you know, official nagging person um, to remind people to stay on. I, I thought that was really creative and resourceful and leaning into the opportunity rather than kind of shrinking away from the challenge. Yeah. I think, you know, he really was able to home in on what his clients need, which is not a lot of just, you know, content and, you know, a framework you can follow to be more productive, but it is that direct accountability and support around how do you actually do this day to day. Yeah, I also appreciated the share kind of at the very beginning of the conversation around, you know, feeling imposter syndrome and who am I to teach this? And I'm not an expert. I don't have a PhD, et cetera. But getting on board with the idea of being the fourth grader teaching the second grader. And, you know, the idea there is that you just need to be further enough along to have things that are meaningfully valuable to share with your students and help them. And of course, that kind of grade differential will depend on how sensitive the subject area that you're dealing with is. So if you're in a space of health and wellness, or if you're dealing with children, you want to make sure that your level of expertise is more than a few grade levels ahead. But there are a lot of areas where as long as you're just further ahead than your student and far enough ahead that you have really meaningful knowledge and skills that can help them in a big way, um, that's great. That's enough. I mean, back in the day when I was young, it feels like a previous life, I used to be very into martial arts and I was an assistant instructor for most of that time. And, you know, so I had my, you know, green or blue belt kind of thing. And I was teaching kids who had their white or yellow belts. And the fact that I was far enough ahead of them to have developed skills they didn't have, but also close enough to where they were to really understand their challenges in a way that, you know, a 10th degree black belt, you know, can't even remember what that was like, was actually a real advantage to creating a, a really great learning experience for them. Yeah. And that, that kind of ties into what he was doing with groups or success teams, right? Where it's not just reliant on him or on paid coaches to help people stay on track. He is forming these teams where people are accountable to each other. But I thought, you know, an interesting twist on that was having returning students come back and essentially serve as like, you know, mentors or peer facilitators in the course, which is, seems like a, a great way to, to have the fourth grader, you know, teach the second grader to use your analogy. And also potentially a way that the course could continue to scale without it becoming overwhelming in terms of Aaron himself facilitating or, or having to have a huge team of professional coaches. Yeah, that's all I've got with my notes. Do you want to do the readout? Yeah, let's do it. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with Danny Eady, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes Just Between Coaches, Making It, and Once Upon a Business. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govertson assembled the episode. 
Danny Eaney is our executive producer, post-production by Post Office Sound. Another thanks to Aaron Croft for talking us through his program today. You can check him out and his community at hiddenadhd.com. That's hiddenadhd.com. And to make sure you don't miss the really great episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like the show, the best way to help us keep making it is to leave a starred review or share it with a friend. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Nice work, everyone. Thank you. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because We're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. 
I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. <laughs> Why are you stopping the recording? <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.